that's a good way to start it. You know, I, I, always, I, I always do the preamble, and I'm now interrupting you. Sorry. Welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Andrew. I'm Jack. And, boy, have we got movies. We've got, we've got show for you. Oh, much we've, show. We've got a wonder full of show. We yeah. got Wonder Showsen. No, that's a show from the 90s. Did you ever watch Wonder Showsen? That's a thing? You never heard of the Wonder Showsen? No. It wasn't, I didn't really watch it much, but like in the late 90s, MTV just put on this really weird TV show, and I might be confusing it with this other show, but it involved... Like, <laughs> and it might be a dream? No, no, it was real, because I remember <laughs> that I remember that there was this like uh, girl who, um, I was, I was saying I'm friends with her, I didn't try to date her, but I, I was friends with this girl who was really into it, and it involved, I think, sock puppets? And it was just like, and it wasn't like they were trying to do any special voices. Like it wasn't like the Muppets, where you have actors trying to craft characters and voices. It was just like it was just people talking with their so- sock. Yeah, puppets. like so. So Dave, uh, what, what we got here? Ha ha! We have uh, this is this thing, and then we got to talk like that. And like and now we must fight. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm, and you can't see it, but I'm kind of doing things with my hands as if I have sock puppets. Like, you know, there was this one, there was this period of time where MTV did very strange things. Like, you would watch Wonder Showsen, which involved, like, sock puppets and skits and things like this. And then you'd have, like, and, a Tom Green show. Yeah, and music videos. Yeah, remember those kids? Um, actually, I have read somewhere that they might bring music videos back, partially. That would be nice. It would be. I mean... <clears throat> Let me ask you something. This sure. is just going to be a quick thing because yeah, yeah, I don't have a ton of experience with music videos, but there are music videos that I really remember and like. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite music video or something that really kind of stuck with stuck with you after you saw it? Uh, let, let me open it up with this because you know there are two that stick out in my head. Right. Uh, the first mu- music video that I really remember was the music video for Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun. Damn it! I was going to say that. <laughs> Damn it, you read my mind. <laughs> and I saw that when I was pretty young, so it, it kind of freaked yeah. me out a bit. Well, it but was I did like, but I liked strange. that song. Yeah, when... <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Soundgarden did a few good music videos. Um, God, because I, I used to watch music videos a lot back when I was younger. Uh, um, there were all, I mean, there were so many just weird music videos on. Uh, also, when I watched uh, Beavis and Butthead, they had a whole segment of their show where they would make fun of music videos, and that's where I saw a lot of things. Like, um, one thing that just suddenly leapt to my mind, um, I think that, did I ever, when you, you know, cause we did the podcast on Martin Scorsese. Right. Um, at the very end, I put this song by this band called King Missile. Yeah. It's called Martin, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. The music video for that, it's just a guy in sunglasses and a hat yelling and it's cut in with like all these shots of like martin scorsese stills yeah and it will show like all the titles of the movies that he had made up to that point and i just remember that being really disarming and strange um oh god i'm, I'm trying because again you, Another... you're talking about entire... oh anything by um uh michelle gondry you ever seen any of his music videos uh yeah like a lot of his stuff with the white stripes what well well white stripes and also um I think he did a couple videos for Daft Punk and uh, the Chemical Brothers. Oh, I've seen I've seen the one. Um, I mean, people are. It's probably going to be super obvious that this isn't the title. Is it called Around the World? Yes. Okay. That's the song. 
Around the world, around I, the world. Yeah. I, I'm of this mindset that a song which, whose only lyric is Around the World by Daft Punk is yes. going to be called something else. I feel that yeah. in my gut. Um, but the other movie music video that stuck with me ever since I saw it was uh, Body Movin' by the Beast, Beastie Boys. Yeah. Well, also Spike wh- wh- Jones. I, I always think about, uh, now that you mentioned it, Sabotage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Where the... BC Boys in their own seventies cop show. Yeah. <laughs> I but that but I, I didn't know this until much later that, that that the body moving music video was based on Danger Diabolic. Oh really? Okay. I yeah, every, watch that everything one. from there is a quote of that movie. Well, also the BC Boys really uh, they also did some of their own videos. Like I think one of the members directed uh, the video for Intergalactic. Which, uh, I, I, that's one of my all-time favorite. That's one I could watch over and over again. And I, and I, obviously, it's, it's pretty much a version of Pacific Rim done for $10. (laughs) Cause it's literally like Kaiju versus, uh, Mecha. It's like, it's like a a guy in a, in a robot box costume and, you know. Yeah. And and it's cut in with the Beastie Boys in like. I guess they're like nuclear outfits or something, and they're running at, around uh, Tokyo. Nice. And uh, yeah, that that was a really great one. Uh, God, there. I. It's funny that they used to have music videos where they tried to make a storyline where it just didn't seem to really fit. It's uh, hard to do that, but if when you do it, it and you pull it off, it's it's great. Oh, like, of course. Body Moving had a story yeah. that was you know it didn't make much. It didn't. Make, yeah. It was the barest of stories but yeah you know uh it, they pulled it off sort of of course well, michael jackson you know he did so many videos not just thriller but also uh bad video for bad is just crazy because it's a short film yeah like if you like it, I don't, it they don't really play the whole thing on tv much but if you ever go online and try to find the real version of bad directed by martin scorsese going back to him um and it makes it like as if it's this real story where michael jackson's in school or something because he was, you know, it wasn't like he was almost thirty, and you know he's with his friends, and then they leave school, and then he's they go. He's a really to this, poor student. Something like that, yeah. He got left behind a few times, um, and then he's in like this subway station, and like Wesley Snipes leads this gang where they just keep taunting Michael Jackson, like you're not, you're you don't, you don't got it, you're not bad, you're not bad, and then Michael Jackson like shoves him all away, and he's like, you ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. And then, like, the music video just starts where him and, like, all these guys, like, start dancing like it's West Side Story. And then it ends with them all, like, still kind of dancing. And then Wesley Snipes is like, yeah, it's fine. And then he just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) So, in other words, kids, in other words, you know, all this stuff going on in Chicago and all these inner cities where there's violence, there just need to be more impromptu dance numbers. Sure, dance-off. Yeah. yeah they, <laughs> there need to be more, like, step-up scenarios. All right, so let's get back, though, to... Um, I know you wanted to talk about something before yeah, we got there was derailed some, on this. Uh, this. I don't think this is what you thought I was going to talk about, but did but you please? see that documentary on ESPN, O.J.? Uh, I've been made in America. to watch it. You watched it? Oh, it's I saw it. It's fantastic. Oh, good to know that. I've I was meaning to check this out, and I just didn't. I just didn't get the time. I, oh, Here's man. how good OJ Made in America is. My mom has a strict eight o'clock bedtime. 
<laughs> she stayed up until eleven to wow. watch the entire uh, to watch uh, the last episode of the, of this documentary. Mm. Mom, you're an American hero. <laughs> Other than now, that, now this it's... is now this is technically a TV series, but it is. But like... it's but in uh, a mini series, if you will. Yeah, but in the way like the Civil War is also a TV documentary series. Ken Burns is Civil War. Yeah, but still, that's one of the greatest documentaries of all time. Yeah. One of the longest too. This is part of the Thirty for Thirty series, by the way. Like usually they make one-hour documentaries, and incidentally, I don't know if you've seen this, but they they also did a, a movie a few years back called June 17th, 1994, oh. and the whole thing is <clears throat> kind of this big montage showing what was happening the day that OJ <clears throat> was in the Bronco with, um, what was his name, Alan, Ka what the hell, I, I forget his friend's name now, but his friend, you know, he was in the Bronco and he was ch being chased by police. That was the, the one part of the documentary I didn't see. I didn't oh, see really? all, I, I couldn't see all of it because I had to work and I, I couldn't get well, home. Well, if you need to, to catch everything. up, well. It, it's easy to catch up. It's on, it, it's, it's, it's streaming on ESPN, on, on, e, on ESPN, yeah. you could watch it whenever. But, but the point is though, I, this documentary, the, the, the day that the Bronco chase was happening, you also had, um the NBA championships, the Stanley Cup champions, championship, um, there was, like, this golfer who was doing his final day uh, playing golf, and there was something else sports-related going on. So you had all of these different things going on at once, and, like, you know, you had the NBA championships where everybody was tuning into it, and at first, the Bronco was, like, this little tiny square in, like, the corner of the screen... Yeah, and then it took over the the networks, and they were like, "Oh, what the, we were watching basketball. Oh, yeah. that's OJ. Oh, <laughs> must um, torn between two breaking yeah. news stories. Um, yeah, but now, the but the documentary itself <laughs> is is five parts on, on yeah. TV. Each one is two hours long, so that's a little less mm -hmm. in you know regular person time. Yes, but it's it's got these five big episodes yes but each episode feels distinct the first the first episode first part is about oj his athletic career and his life yeah the second part is about race relations in los angeles up, yeah. uh, up up through the rodney king uh beating yeah uh and the about third parts and, about the third and fourth parts are about the murder of uh, his wife uh, Nicole Brown. Yeah, it's it's and, it's uh, about Ron the murder Goldman. and about the pre-trial stuff, jury selection. The yeah. fourth is all about the trial, and the fifth is everything that happens from the verdict onwards. Yeah. and the fact that you can watch a a, a five-part documentary of this length yeah. and know how distinct each ep each episode is mm -hmm. is uh, just shows you how well put together this this is. I I read I read the review on RogerEbert.com and. The whoever was who did the review, he gave it three and a half stars. He only gave it a half star because he said the fifth episode could should have been longer. Mm. Which is uh, well, there's a lot about OJ <laughs> that I'm curious to know about in that fifth part because uh, um, the funny thing is I I didn't really talk about this and now in retrospect I wish I should have but um, there was also there was this year there's also another uh, kind of miniseries event. That happened. Uh, this was, of course, this is documentary ESPN. FX had the People versus O.J. Simpson. I've heard of that. Uh, that was a part of this series called American Crime Story. That was ten episodes, so I guess about ten hours. 
Um, that was more about the like the actual OJ murder and trial. Um, but it also went a lot into race. It went into how, like, the very first image of the series was uh, the footage from the Rodney King beatings, mm. which you know that being in LA at that time, it was like you couldn't escape that. And yet, it's interesting because um, I think the review I read said that uh, it was like OJ. Uh, it's like everything that he, you know, that he he was acquitted and found not guilty of the crimes that he arguably maybe did commit but he in other respects his life was much more complicated hmm. so i don't know if that was something that i guess maybe the the documentary tried to show how there are so many di- complicated things involving oj and race and america in general to look yeah. at uh, but i'd recommend people versus oj that's where you get uh uh quite a cast is in that you got Cuba Gooding Jr. as OJ, even though he doesn't look like him, he's still giving the yeah. best performance he's probably given in like twenty years. Um, John Travolta is uh, Bob Shapiro; <laughs> he's amazing. Um, you got oh god, so, so many good people in that cast. Um, but I could go on and on. But the point is, you should also check that out. I I, I am I'm in love with long documentaries. Yeah, uh, uh, they could be fascinating. Yeah, they like, the the one I, you should check out eventually is uh, the Jinx. Have you heard of the Jinx? Yeah, I think you reviewed it. Oh, maybe I did. Yeah, I think I might have mentioned it briefly. Uh, I mean, if you ever year. if you ever ask me about the world at war, you will be talking to me just about as long as it takes to watch the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> you will grow old as Andrew is telling you. <laughs> about the world at war i know wait it's, so that's a different thing that's not ken burns no that uh, ken burns is a documentary about world war ii called the war yeah but the world at war came much earlier it's narrated by Lawrence olivier oh yeah it's, yeah you told me about and this. it's and, right. and in scope it's so much bigger than the war is it goes into so much detail on things that you hadn't even heard about how, how long is it it's i forget how many episodes it is altogether i want to say less than 20 ah. uh each episode is a little less than an hour long. Jeez, so, so that's a commitment. Uh, but you know, when that. you're talking about World War II, oh yeah, I, imagine people write books that are three inches thick about World War II. If you took that book and made it into a documentary to give it justice, then you would have something like the World at War. And if oh, someone yeah. wrote a book about O.J. Simpson yeah. and about everything that went into his trial and about all the details about it, you would get something like O.J. Made in America. I I think if you take books, nonfiction books, and you give them the sort of justice they deserve, yeah, you end up with documentaries like this, which really pay off because O.J. Made in America was a huge hit. Yeah, no, I, I, I've been meaning to watch the whole thing, and I think I'm going to marathon. Maybe it's just one of those things that only TV can do. I mean, I don't see people doing this much in cinema. Well, it, well you could, but it wouldn't have that wide an audience as far as people buying tickets to each showtime like you um, I, I can't remember the last time that people paid a lot of money to see really long documentaries i mean back in the 80s i might have mentioned briefly possibly i i don't know if i might have skimmed it over but i watched part of showa right and uh that was wow that, that there's a long documentary i haven't actually dug into so well that's well that one is I honestly, I, I should finish it. I, I got to be in full disclosure. I didn't quite finish all of it because it, it's it's heavy. And the funny oh. thing is, it's 
it's a Holocaust documentary, but it doesn't use any archive footage or clips. It's all the director interviewing people in the early 80s who were still alive that had were either survivors or involved in camps and things like that. Doing a lot of sneaky things, too, from what I hear. Who, who do you mean? Like, the director uh, filming people after saying, no, we're, you're not being filmed right now. Oh, I, I didn't know about that. Claude, some of the uh, that. some of the uh, people like guards and administrators who talked to him but didn't consent to be interviewed ended mm. up on film. Yeah, well, it, it might be sneaky, but then on the other hand, having <laughs> having <laughs> having a document of that for generations. Who's gonna take their side? No, yeah, but sometimes no. Sometimes you just need that level of detail. Like that's uh, like I'm considering reading a book about. Um, the, uh, it's called the rise and fall of the third reich hmm. it's i guess uh, literally the story of nazism and it's a 1500 page book yeah i mean i know that will be a commitment but if i ever read that that will be kind of like that but i mean the closest thing i can get to in cinema is where like you take a non-fiction book and turn it into a film uh mm. there are two examples that come to mind one is the serpent in the rainbow mm. which the west craven film that's based on a book a okay. non-fiction book about the search for the causes of zombieism in oh, voodoo. Okay. Uh, but the, but the book is totally non-fiction, and the movie is kind of is and the made movie to be a is a straight-up horror film, which does make some really good points. It's not really a great film, but it brings up a lot of interesting ideas about what what voodoo and what the place yeah. of zombieism really is was in Haiti. Yes. Uh, the other one I can think of is the men who stare at goats. Yes. Which, which, which got was, made it was a into, little bit of a flawed film. Yeah, uh, entertaining. But I, uh, yeah, George I, Clooney and yeah. Jeff Bridges, mm -hmm. and then Kevin Spacey—they all do. You know, they're great because yeah. they are who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it's a dramatized ver. It's it's a fictionalized, dramatized version of events which are covered in a book, which again brings up interesting ideas. But uh, somehow, to make it palatable, you have to fictionalize it. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's surprising. Characters. It's surprising, actually. I've read the Men Who Stare at Goats. Yes, and it's a fascinating book, and it's surprising how much stuff in the movie is taken from real life because it seems preposterous. Yeah, it, that, that's always the danger if you're making a fictional movie like that. How much will audiences be able to take? That's like, I think in the last podcast I brought up the documentary Wiener. Right, and that's a that's a story where. You know, you you could make that into a fictional movie, and there are parts of that where you think, "Oh, please, that that that's not." You, I don't believe that. Yeah. But you watch in a documentary, and you're like, "Okay, Carlos Danger, that was a guy. Yeah. <laughs> he 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 tweeted pictures of his dick to uh to a woman." Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to use the cliche, but you know, you can't write this stuff. Yes, no, no. You <laughs> sometimes you just can't. You have to just get a camera in if it, there if you and had follow it, things. If it hadn't happened in real life and someone hadn't seen it, yeah, you would never believe this in a fictional film. No, um, yeah, it's it, it, you know. So anyway, we, we gotta have like an entire episode about documentaries someday. That would be a great episode to do. Documentary <laughs> December. Do we'll dedicate a month to it. December. There. There you go. Disembumentary. <laughs> yeah. Um, and on that point, uh, if you guys have any thoughts, if you've seen OJ uh, Made in America, if you've seen any of the other uh, films that we've been talking about, you could email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, send us your thoughts, uh, questions, uh, comments, uh, preservatives, 
Um, and uh, we are also on Facebook, uh, the Wages of Cinema podcast, and we're on Twitter. You can check us out at Wages of Cinema. Uh, Instagram as well. I always try to post some fun little pictures and little things. Sometimes I might even be watching a movie and I'll take my camera and kind of find, click a picture, you know, on an interesting image. He sends in his film to the developer, and within <laughs> two or three weeks, he gets back some photos, which we then post to Facebook. So I wish that phones worked that cumbersomely. I think people lose their minds. We can dream. Anyway. So, and also, check us out on iTunes and subscribe. And give us a review. Yeah, a review really helps us become more visible, more ratings, uh, more written reviews are fantastic. Even if it's just to say, hey, you guys are great. Yes. Because we are. Mm-hmm. So tell us that. Yes. It helps to reinforce our fragile egos. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> They're about to crumble as you're listening to us. Um, so before that happens, let's move on to our next subject. Okay. Um, and I'd just like to talk uh, briefly, speaking of, since you were bringing up th- things on television uh, that are kind of cinematic events, um, kind of the opposite of that, but maybe connected with something I know you wanted to talk about, Lifetime movies. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I remember last year I did talk about one uh, that was technically a kind of satire homage spoof weird experiment yeah well it was called the deadly adoption and uh yeah will ferrell and Kristen they thought they were adopting a small orphan what they were really adopting was an undercover (laughs) assassin (laughs) no no that well that was when you know that 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 was (laughs) trademark wages of cinema yes um the great thing about the, the the fun thing about that movie was you had will ferrell and Kristen wig totally committing to doing like an actual lifetime movie right uh, to the point where parts of it it you know there are times i was laughing and then there are other times i'm like should i be taking this seriously as a movie um <laughs> it made you feel strange emotions yes well th- th- you know i the funny thing with lifetime movies uh my wife is a big fan of them yeah uh you know they're, they're it's like eating doritos it, it's not like you have to process anything important you're not making you know, if if art films are, you know, um, if like the lobster is like this special art films are like a really good creamy crab chowder. Yeah, cre- well, crab chowder. But I was also gonna maybe make the comparison of like having like a vegetable stew, having something good for you. Oh, okay, that's a, that's a good that's then, a good metaphor. Then lifetime is like I want just a bag of gummy worms <laughs> that I'm gonna just eat, I and see they what might you mean. be and they might be sour patch flavored. Oh. Um, <laughs> I just made you hungry for gummy worms. No, <laughs> Sour Patch done? Kids, man. All right. Yeah, alright. But the point is, so, this past couple of weeks, I watched two movies, which one of them I discovered wasn't really a Lifetime movie, though I thought it was, and the other one totally is. And I'll watch, I won't watch them often, like, even though my wife's watching, I'll try to do something else. But every year, I'll watch one or two, because there will be something that will catch my attention um, it's like eating the lutefisk at Christmas. Yeah, well, it's the, tradition. Well, they'll have special events that I'll even go, huh? Like one year they had uh, uh, the Anna Nicole story about Ugh. Anna Nicole Smith. All right, and they had Martin Landau as playing... Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> I that oh my god, oh that would have been amazing. Yeah, actually, this connects back to our. <laughs> actually, this connects to our first topic because Anna Nicole was in Naked Gun twenty two and a third. No, thirty three and a third. Thirty three and a third. Get that right, sir. Right, <laughs> uh, with O.J. Simpson. 
Ah! See, good Kevin Baconing there. Actually, that that didn't go very far. No, but, but that was not bad. You know what? Watching the OJ documentary really made me want to see the Naked Gun films again. He is. <laughs> It's so interesting watching them because he's pretty funny in them. Like, yeah. you know, the first scene he has in the first Naked Gun, he gets sh- like he gets, <laughs> he gets shot. He falls in like a in a, into a cake. He burns his hand. He, he, he gets leans trapped up in the against window. the door that says "wet paint." And, it's like because and, even and though he, walks he gets into a bear trap, yeah, it's like even though he gets shot, that's not what's going to kill him. <laughs> it will be everything else that, um, yeah. And of course, you know, he's in his hospital bed and he's like. I love you. I love you too, Nordberg. <laughs> no, heroin. Heroin, Frank. That's a pretty tall order. You're going to have to give me a couple days on that one. <laughs> um, but no, the point is that I want... So, these two Lifetime movies. Um, one was called A Good Marriage, which wasn't really a Lifetime movie, I, I discovered. Although it felt like one. Right. And the other was called Mother May I Sleep With Danger. Now, please tell me that this was an Italian production. <laughs> no, in fact, that, it was a remake. This this is sort like, of this is like the same kind of class of title like today we kill, tomorrow we die. Yeah, well, that's like how um I when I watched uh, Welcome to the Basement, they talked about good titles and bad titles. Yeah, you know uh, when you get um, the unbear uh, the unbearable lightness of being. My, I I want someone to eat cheese with, which isn't even uh, grammatically correct. Uh, but Mother May I Sleep with Danger. Um, so I watched this this weekend. This was a movie in the 90s. Mother May I Sleep with Danger. <laughs> yes. Oh, there are so many titles like this. I should get Corey on at some point to, ha- okay, to have like a lifetime discussion. Okay, but only you after you eat your vegetables. Yes. And so this was a movie in the 90s that was basically Tori Spelling dating a guy who's abusive things unravel from there pretty her mother shouldn't have let her sleep with danger exactly she should have seen the danger sign blinking above the house like eat at joe's um but james franco decides all right you know in my many experimental things i'm doing with my career where i'm going from being a college professor to acting in seth rogan movies to adapting William Faulkner, I'm now going to do a Lifetime movie. Although he didn't direct this, I should say. He wrote the story, he's credits producer, and he shows up in it. I'll get to that in a second. This this version of Mother May Sleep at Danger involves lesbian vampires. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I got your attention. And it's not very good. Uh, I, I, well, I know, it's disappointing because this should have been campy as hell. And yet it can't decide whether it wants to stick with the camp or be a real movie mm. or try for it. Um, the direct- it. It takes a middle course and that's never good. you got to be one thing or the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really got to commit sometimes. And that, that, that was the fatal flaw of this movie. Um, at first I thought that James Franco did direct this because he is directing a lot of things. And also the director's name seemed like a fake name. <laughs> you ever see that where you think like, is this a real name? Come on, yeah. like, I, the, like the director's name like was Tom Manley. Yeah, this director was name is named Melanie Aitkenhead. And but as it turns out, no, James Franco didn't direct it. But it's just Melanie kinda, Aitkenhead apparently is a real person. Yeah, it was just kind of tepid. It was, uh, it's like this girl meets this other girl, and 
she doesn't see the danger signs and yet she's not very dangerous in the story because it's like this girl who's turned into a vampire and then you cut that five years later and she takes photos in her lab which uh, whatever and she vampire scientists yeah something well no no no, not vampire scientists she meets like this teen this girl who's in college and her big character moment is in a classroom where she defends the first twilight book as a great book because it is about like actual hot teenage sex but forget but then she says forget all the sequels because they suck (laughs) um but the rest of the movie that should be an uh, epic monologue really if it tries to be one and the the problem is it's like okay we get it this movie's gonna involve vampires and lesbians and sex you have to spell it out for us um so the other but the other movie i watched though stephen king's a good marriage which again, he didn't direct this one. Um, this was better. This was a real movie. It had some good actors, Joan Allen, and uh, this guy Anthony Lapaglia. And now, apparently, I've discovered. I thought this was a Lifetime movie. It was a real theatrical release, um, but it was pretty thrilling. It's like a woman discovers her husband is a killer. All right, pretty basic enough. And right. it, and Stephen King wrote the script too, and it plays with your mind a great deal because you're watching it and there's a moment where she you know she discovers some clue in her the garage where it's like oh my god my husband's a killer i can't go to sleep i'm gonna take an ambient and the scene happens right after it where wait is she dreaming this what's happening right now is she dreaming her husband like suddenly appearing in her bedroom telling her things and it it was effective in that way, where at times I was questioning, is Stephen King screwing with me? And of course, the answer is yes. But right. um, but where it winds, winds up, it was treating things more seriously, and it was taking things in a good way. And it was funny, when I looked up reviews of this, it didn't really get very good reviews. But I would say, if you're going to check out one crappy Lifetime movie, check out Good Marriage. Don't watch Mother May I Sleep With Danger. Don't watch the movie. Better that, yet, come oh, up with a better script for that title. Yeah, the problem is also there's a lot of potential there because there are these three uh, vampire girls, almost like they're out of the craft. I don't know if you ever saw that movie from I'm the afraid 90s. not. All right. Well, you're missing out because that's... It's that's, about basket weavers. Yeah. <laughs> basket weaving witches. Uh, Kill me, we'll bring back your goddamn honey. <laughs> yes. Um... And they go around, and basically they go into frat parties, and they, they'll they find that, you know, they'll, you'll have the typical date rapist guy who's trying to, you know, get his way into, like, a girl's pants. And the three vampire chicks will appear and just bite the crap out of him. <laughs> and I want to see that movie. I want to see revenging vampire ladies. Yeah. Who go around to frat parties and stop uh, college rapists? They should take Mother May I Sleep with Danger and slap that title on that film. Yes, there. It, like this should be a movie playing in a grindhouse. It shouldn't be a Lifetime movie where James Franco is like, "Yes, I'm going to do my own Lifetime movie, and I'm going to play the director doing a play of Macbeth in the." Uh, screw it. All right, let's move on. Nice. Tr- oh, well, this is actually a good time to talk about something else. Uh, you know, because what you were talking about really reminds me of, you know, thrillers. Yes. And you and I have had this this argument going on for about a week or so, 
about what's the difference between thriller and and horror films. Like uh, the thing, mm. I, the thing I. Oh the no, yeah, I, we did bring this up before. Uh, I'm going to talk about Black Swan later. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert. And we we had this discussion. Well, it, it, is Black Swan horror? And you you said you considered it horror. Well, not even that. The director called it a psychological horror film. Okay. Now, if you want to disagree with his own, uh, I do take on. Okay, I do because I've been thinking a lot about what what is the difference between horror and a thriller because mm. there is a difference. Okay. And I I. Tr- I tr- tried to figure this out and i think i've got a good way to think about this all right it's like the only the other thing i compare it to is what's the difference between fantasy and science fiction hmm. so what what is the difference between those two things they can sometimes well it, it, it depends like, right, what, what kind of movie you're making like star, War, the, star wars is, is more diff- star wars is more fantasy than it is science what fiction. is the difference between star wars and primer Oh, a good one. Well, Primer is is well for one thing. It takes place on actual Earth. Aside from settings and aside from characters and aside from the plot, it's what, real. Primer is really looking at science itself, right? And, and meanwhile, Star Wars is what what is Star Wars doing that is that that Primer is not. Um, it's more so about adventure. Right. It's about characters engaging in. We have this mission. We have this quest. It's not looking at the way that things work in that world. Whereas Star Trek blurs the line a little bit. Right. You could say that maybe by now with these new movies, Star Trek is more verging into the Star Wars terrain. When you get where, whereas in the TV show and the early movies, you had a little bit more science fiction right. going on. Where okay, we want to deal with. What does it mean if we're going to other planets and we're dealing with people who are the other and we have to deal with those? It's a lot more idea-based, whereas Star Wars, you're not really plumbing the ideas in that way, unless if you get into the Joseph Campbell stuff, but that's that's something else. Right. I mean, Star Trek Beyond is clearly has more to do with Flash Gordon than it does with the original Star yes. Trek. Right. But but you you've gotten at the right thing at the right thing. Science fiction is more about it's the difference between fantasy and science fiction is how you engage the audience. Science fiction mm. is about engaging an audience's intellect. Yeah. Uh, you create a, something of a puzzle, no, or, or, you, or you're or you're plumbing the depths. Now it but, doesn't mean that you could also blur the lines, though. Yeah, like, but let me get to that. And now, fantasy like Star Wars is engaging an audience's emotions. Yes. It's not concerned with the ideas. It's concerned about the emotions that it gives the audience. Using you can, using space as the backdrop. For what is still, you know, you could say it's a western. You could say it's a swashbuckler. Right. You could say it's a lot of things. But you don't come out of Star Wars thinking, well, how how is it really logistically possible to create a, a space station that makes its own gravity or how, destroys how an entire Millenni- planet? How does the Millennium Falcon work? Yeah, and, and how do you can you have a dogfight in space? No, uh, it's emotionally it works on all the emotional levels. So you're, it's it's trying to engage the audience on that level we while sci- science fiction is going to confront things like how does the spaceship work and what are the ramifications of time travel and things like that so one is about intellect versus emotion and i think that's the same way you have to look at it with thriller and horror horror is trying to engage you on an emotional level where it's trying to scare you it's trying to make you feel uneasy it's trying to 
uh, really make you nervous and tense. Yeah. And thrillers try to engage you by making you think about what's going on and trying to figure out what is going on. I like mm. Perfect Blue. I would consider that a thriller. No, no, I, w- I wouldn't call that a horror movie. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no middle ground because, you know, there are clearly science fiction and fantasy films that, that get close and they, they work along well, the spectrum. Well, we've talked many times uh, about a movie that really blurs the line, which I know you love, uh, Seven. Yeah. Now, that I think you could call a thriller horror. Right. Like, that that one can go either way because even though it involves, the story involves the, the kind of procedural elements of thrillers that we've had for decades, the way that it's shot, the way that it's presented, it's grisly. Yeah. I mean, it, and thriller, uh, not thriller, I mean, uh, seven, thriller. seven is, uh, on the surface level, it does engage your emotions because you, you feel genuine horror at, you know, what John Doe can do and, and how much he's planned yes. and, and how grisly his murders are. But beyond that, when you go further, John Doe, you get you talk about his ideas and why he's doing things and you're trying to figure out what he's trying to do next then it engages you like a thriller okay and that's one of those middle points it's like if there's like a like a graph with like an x-axis on the bottom and a y-axis on the top it's like somewhere something meets a thriller is going to be like on the x-axis and you know i'm not going to talk too much about graphs because that's 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 fantastic all right but you know uh, i think you know, uh, Black Swan is certainly more in the thriller area. It's trying to engage your mind, trying to get you think about what's going on, what's real, mm. and what's not. Uh, it it does have moments that are kind of tense and scary, but those aren't the emphasis. Okay. And then, uh, you know, Perfect Blue has a lot of horrific moments, but it's more about, well, what exactly is going on? It, it, is this thing on the internet real, or is what I think or is what the main character thinks happened real. And you're trying to figure out that in your head. You should figure it out. Okay. No, no, you make some valid points. Um, you know, it, it's always the question, like, you could even look at, you know, is Frankenstein a horror movie, or is that science fiction? Because you're involving, you actually, it's, it's you're sort of seeing the process of raising somebody from the dead and trying to look at it in a science perspective. Well, I think... Uh... Well, if we go by the idea of, you know, if, are we talking about the ideas or are we talking about the, well, the emotions, then, you know, I well, think... There may be the, well, there's kind of a split, you could say, that the the first half is more science fiction-y, and then once the monster is created, then it's a horror movie. Yeah. Or but... Jaws. Did we have that argument about Jaws, too? We have talked about Jaws and whether or not it's 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 horror or not. It, it, I don't think though that Jaws comes close to being a thriller. Jaws is more like uh, I I'd, I'd say see that I, I would disagree with that because I think Jaws is kind of two movies in one, um, in the sense that the first half is all about the shark that's terrorizing people. And they think that, you know, do we, did we get the shark? Did we not get the shark? It's still killing people. Then the second half is all about the mission of getting the shark, which is more adventurous. It's a little bit more thrilling yeah, than quite be- being horror, even though there are little horror elements to it. And oddly enough, I think maybe one of the most horrific parts of the movie is the monologue about the Indianapolis 
that yeah. that Quinn gives. Oh, but th- I that's character development for Quinn. Yeah. And Quint. you know, Quint, Quint. sorry. <laughs> Quinn. <laughs> Quinn Quinn the Eskimo. All right. Uh but you know, it's so uh, it's uh Are there any other thoughts you had on this before we move on? I I'm really uh I really realize now that I really like thrillers. So I think I'm going to go in that direction in the future. I'm going to try more thrillers, see how, you know, how how they engage people, yeah. see where they meet the horror line. Mm. You know, if you think about it kind of like this sort of, you know, think about those old uh graphs you did on grid paper. Yes. You know, see where it fits on the grid yeah. in my brain, mm. the brain grid. <laughs> the grid brain. There. That would be our new podcast, uh, The Grid Brain, where we show you how our brains work minute to minute. And where thrillers and horror um, meet up. But uh, actually, on that point, if I could just talk a little bit about some horror that I watched uh, no. this week. No! Um, the Conjuring 2. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that the people have spoken very highly of The Conjuring. Yeah, I would as well. It's a very good movie. Which is weird for me because, you know, it's it's a another haunted house film that came out right around the time of paranormal activity. Um, and and also it had a creepy doll of. in it. Well, <laughs> which the uh, funny thing is is that the they, in the first movie the creepy doll is just there in like a couple of shots. It's not even the focus of the movie. Um what what you know, cause It got a lot of play in the trailer. They did pump it up in the trailer, but then what happened? The funny thing was they played it up so much in the trailer, and people were like, "Ooh, the doll's creepy." Then they made a cre- the creepy doll spinoff movie, Annabelle, and yeah, apparently right, it was which was terrible. awful. Yeah, I didn't see it, but I've, I've heard bad things. Creepy but, dolls, they're a cliche, but I think they're underutilized. They're not being used in the right way. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that at some other time. Yeah. But continue. So actually, I think you would like this movie quite a bit because it's uh, the director James Wan who. You know, I, I can't. I couldn't believe that. You know, the the guy who once was a little bit my nemesis for making Saw. Um, <laughs> he comes around and shows that when he focuses on making a haunted haunted house movies, he really fun, hits his stride. And I think I might like The Conjuring two more hmm. than even the first Conjuring because he. It's a lot more atmosphere based. It's a lot more about let's take our time moving the camera. Let's take our time showing character development. In this case, too, it's it it's supposed to be based on true cases, and of course, yeah, sure. You say, <laughs> yeah, sure, true story. Um, but it's it's actually based on two real people. These guys named Ed and Lorraine Warren. Does that name strike a bell? Unfortunately, yes. Oh, am I unfortunately? Because they are not looked well upon in oh, really? the real world. Oh, so they look like as charlatans? Yes. Well, the funny thing is, the movie addresses that. Like, there's actually a scene where the Ed Lorraine Warren characters are on this TV show talking about uh, the Amityville Horror, because that was one of the things that they sort of advised on. Um, and there's this other person on the talk show who's like, I think you're both full of crap basically yeah but it's it's, now that being said they could still make a movie and make it scary out yeah but that's funny that you yeah that they they, because they address that in the movie they address doubt as a thing about okay so because it it takes place in england in the late 70s and there's this pretty there's like this poor family or there's this mother and her four kids and there's this uh you know this paranormal presence that is screwing with them and 
you know, th- then they, you know, and it's making it really, you know, they can't leave because they're too poor. I like that detail, too. And <laughs> you never hear about ghosts haunting rich people unless it's like a Christmas carol. And then it's and then it's only like a minor inconvenience. Yes. Yeah. No, it's well, usually it's middle class people. But this is like, yeah, but they've like just bought the house and it's a serious investment. Yeah. But what, what I liked about it, too, is that there's also the kind of question of doubt that some of the like this one woman Someone character needs has to do a study about the about the socioeconomic ramifications of, of hauntings. Yes. Yeah, that's actually not bad. That should be, uh, that'll be Corey's next dissertation. This, this is a real thing. <laughs> hold, hold on just for a second. This is a real thing. All right. If you are selling a house that has a history or at least a, a, a reputation of being haunted, you have to include that in your information about the house. Really? Because it, it, whether, or not, whether or not hauntings are real or not, is irrelevant because whether a house is haunted has an effect on the resale value value of a house, uh. which means that you do have to give due consideration in all of the background you give about the house before the sale. That is a that is a really useful. This may be detail. different from state to state. It's probably not everywhere in the United States. No, possibly not even in other countries. Yeah. But there are certain well, places where you do have to do that. Yeah, but. Um... But the point is, this movie Conjuring 2, um, again, really ups the ante about, you know, giving you real horror and really just creepy things in it. Just give me, again, taking its time to show lots of dark, you know, hallways. It, it, I feel like the, James Wan... You weird know, he, things moving far away that we can't see. Yeah, <laughs> he he's homaging not just uh, 70s horror movies, but 70, but also movies from a certain time period. I'm not going to quite say it's as good as this, but almost like the innocence. Mm, I had a feeling you were working towards that. Well, I I can't help it. It's Britain and it's ghosts. Yeah. Um, but I highly recommend it to people who are into good, scary horror. It's And, of course, when you talk about Britain and scary movies, you inevitably have creepy children. Are there creepy children in this film? Um... Not creepy. They're they're more creeped out. I mean, well, you do have also oh, just who, like normal children who don't well, like uh, the girl. The, well, there is a girl who sometimes is possessed by the spirit of the house, and um, and it's different. You know, sometimes you it, one thing to, uh, that I also appreciated. It can be a little tiresome sometimes in these haunted house movies where it's a woman who comes in and is like you know because that's it's The Exorcist over and over. <laughs> yeah. This it's an old man. And, oh, thank uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's not like the twentieth time we have like a Hispanic housekeeper who's like, oh, yeah, muerto. Well, you oh know? God, oh yeah. Well, I saw one of those movies last month. That was El, the, that was the darkness. El Diablo. Yeah. For God's sake, please. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to mention really fast. I also watched this uh, Spanish movie called uh, The Skin I Live In, which oh, which and this goes back. This, a, this is goes familiar. Ba- well, this goes back a little bit to what we were just talking about. You know what is science fiction or what is horror? This is um, this was by this pa- Spanish filmmaker who's very famous, uh, Pedro Almodovar. Right. And um, he gravity is... or something. What did he do? Damn no, it. that's Coron. I, I am such really? a racist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> Hashtag vote Trump. Um, no, but um, no, Almodovar. Uh, I'm sorry. What 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 else did Almodovar talk do? to her all about my mother? Uh, Volver. Oh, so um, so no movies. Tie I've... me up, tie me down. He's he's historic in Spain. You you might like some of his movies. Tie me up, tie me down. I think is uh, something you might enjoy. Quaron um, did Gravity. Yes. Okay. Yes, he did. No, this is anyway. Uh, Antonio Banderas is in it. And he plays this doctor who... In the- oh, Antonio Banderas. He was uh, in West Side Story. <laughs> Alright, now you're just fucking with me. <laughs> I hope. He's the one who said, we don't we don't got to show you any stinking badges. <laughs> when you, And then he followed it up with, when you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Right. <laughs> Alright, I gotta get back on point because I want to have more movies to talk about before I run out of time. Um, so he's this doctor who focuses on skin. And for the first act of the movie, there's this woman who is... In, he has like this big house and there's this woman living in this room. But it almost seems like she's... I don't know if she's held kind of captive in a way, but not really. Like she, It's not like a prison, but she it, can't really get a, out of the room. You know what this sounds like? Eyes without a face. Yes, that was one of the main influences, and you get to. But the thing is, as the movie goes on, there are a lot of twists in the movie that I don't want to get into. Um, but eventually, you discover a lot of really twisted things that this doctor is actually doing to this person, or has been going on, and it involves well, skin, skin, but also uh, sex change, um, and the death, uh, and like being violated by people and all these different it's so there are really there are horrific subtextual things going on and almost the kind of way that a body is desecrated is horrific but it's and yet it also feels a little bit science fictiony there's also this element of like cronenberg where it's body horror and yet it it tries to do all these different things it doesn't quite reach the aspirations it's trying for at some point, if you want to check it out, it's it's not terrible, but not, sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, were there any other movies you want to talk about before uh, there, I go into my there's quick just, stretch? There, there's just one I want to talk about. I saw The Mark of Zorro. Okay. Is that the? Now that is Banderas. No, that's The Mask of Zorro. All right. Uh, but very ballpark. Yeah. Uh, but The Mark of Zorro is a film from 1940, which is okay. It's uh, is that the one that inspired like. Wasn't Bruce Wayne going to see that with his parents I the think, night that he uh, I think they got in, shot? In all like the Batman lore, I think the Mark of Zorro is the film that they're seeing. Yeah, it's not always the same, I know, but usually it's some Zorro film. Usually it's the Mark of Zorro. No, uh, yeah. and it's a pretty good film. Okay, it's actually very similar to one of my favorite movies of all time, Robin The Hood? Adventures of Robin Hood. It's in that same vein yeah. of like 1940s adventure films and swashbuckling yes so i was halfway sold uh there are key differences in this like the action in this is not as well shot Mm. uh what i do think is interesting about this though is zorro is barely in it ah that's odd the the person who gets most of the focus the character who gets the most focus is uh don diego de la mm. vega that's that's the man who is zorro it's like his secret identity and the way he 
throws off suspicion is he acts like this sort of he acts like a sissy all the time ah and what's really interesting about this is like don diego has been in spain this whole time yeah his father is uh the sort of governor of los angeles he's called the alcalde yes and he comes back home and like his father's been kicked out and all the peasants are afraid of the new alcalde because he has these high taxes and he cuts out people's tongues and things like that yeah but the minute he notices that something is awry, yeah. he throws up that mask of, like, foppishness. Nice. Because he knows, like, the minute he goes there, that he's going to do something. Mm. And he's just like, I got to start deflecting suspicion right now. <laughs> and he just starts that act immediately. Nice. He becomes, Don Diego is much more interesting than Zorro in this film. Mm. It's like, you know, Batman. We talk about, you know... Oh, so it's a little bit like uh, The Rocketeer, where Timothy Dalton's a little bit more interesting than the actual Rocketeer? In a way. But, you know, that's because he's Timothy Dalton and he plays an interesting yeah. villain. What I mean is, in this case, it's like, in every Batman film, yeah. we talk about the people who play Batman, you know, we talk about who's the best Batman. But we also talk about, like, was this person also a good Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. And there are people who do usually one or the other. Yes. And Bruce Wayne usually gets the shaft because no one really is interested in talking about Bruce Wayne. But, you know, if Don Diego is the Bruce Wayne, he gets most of the focus in this film. He's developed the most. His whole mask and his whole persona and how he acts around people gets a lot more attention than Zorro does. Okay. And it's fascinating how interesting he becomes. Mm. Who, who you know, plays him? Uh, Tyrone Power. Oh, okay. I've, I've uh, witnessed for the prosecution. Yeah, and and he's not great in this film. He, yeah. he lacks a certain charisma, but mm. as Zorro. Yeah. But he's perfect in as you know as Don Diego mm-hmm. when when he's just acting like a fop and saying, "Oh, sword fighting is just exhausting." He doesn't talk like that, by the way. But <laughs> I, I wish he did. Another thing about talking in this film, it takes place in California when it was ruled by the Spanish. Mm-hmm. No Spanish accents. Basil Rathbone is in it, and he's clearly British, as British oh, as I, he I ever been. I love been. that. Well, you talk about whitewashing in Hollywood. Back then, you know, they would... Uh... You know, they would try, they'd throw an Indian in there and give him, like, uh... <laughs> Yeah, and, and the, the Alcalde's wife is, like, she sounds so British yeah. that she should be in, in, like, Bride and Prejudice or something. Nice. Like, uh, only the extras have anything like a Spanish accent. That's, like... Everybody else oh. who is a star is, like, American and British. <laughs> yeah. That, that, but that... that was back in the 40s when it was okay. Yeah, that's... Unlike uh, the new girl with the dragon tattoo where... They try to do Swedish accents and fork. <laughs> yes, that's yes, how exactly. It is. Um, okay, so I just want to talk about a, a couple new movies that I've seen. Um, if I have enough time, uh, just to get through these really fast. Uh, Finding Dory. Okay. New Pixar. Every, um, every, people are saying that this is better than the original. See, that's what that's what Corey <sighs> said when we when we got out of the movie. Because uh, we she hadn't seen Finding Nemo before, and we watched that a couple days before we watched it. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I think I still think Finding Nemo is great. Okay. I still think it's amazing. Finding Dory. Here's. If this was by any other animation studio, I'd be like, oh, this is fantastic. Right. It's not quite level of greatness. There are a couple of flaws in it that I, I I hate to pick out. It's like the third act. It just starts to get like. All right, who, I don't care about this anymore. You've resolved your conflict by this point. You're just having a long chase scene that means nothing. Yeah. And 
but there are still a lot of fascinating ideas about it. Um, this idea that you're taking this character who's a comic sidekick, making her the real hero of the movie, uh, with like a real arc and a real mission to do something. And it's a difficult task because how do you make someone who has short-term memory loss has almost like this character gimmick? How do you make that character work? And they do. The Pixar people really do. They they have a lot of fun with the setting because it's set in a giant like marine park. So um, they get to play around a lot with like different uh, fish worlds and uh, and like they have like a. It's like the West World of fish. <laughs> a little bit. Well, there's like a couple of har like there are a couple of comically horrifying sequences. Like at one point, Dory and this other like in this uh, octopus character they wind up in like this little pool where kids i don't know if you've ever seen this where kids can like put their hands in yeah touch tanks to, yeah touch tanks they wind up in a touch tank and it's one of the most thrilling sequences of the movie because they're <laughs> trying not to get touched and they're trying to dodge this way and that and <laughs> yeah um they're again there are a couple little flaws that just keep it from being like fully like great because again pixar they just they just have a benchmark that's so high that when you have such a high level of quality to get up there every time, you got to have like an up or a Wally quality work. Yeah, I mean th their process is always solid. They they do oh, the it work. Is. Yeah, no, no, this does work. I would say go see it. It's just not top top tier uh, Pixar. Again, it's... Well, it, it, I, I would. S All right, uh, you saw the movie, so you know you you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The thing I would just compare this to is, you know, how we talked about Disney once. Yeah. And, you know, how every movie after after Snow White was like, well, it's no Snow White. Well, it, it, it's... With Inside Out, they were able to pull it off. Inside Out is great. Um, there is this feeling, though, that just... If you have an animated movie, and it's about a character trying to find their family, or trying to find their way home, it's a little tired. <laughs> if you're an it, adult... It, it's been like, tired. If you're, if you're a little kid, you might not care. Yeah, if because I, if you I haven't six, been alive very long. Yeah, if I was six seeing this, I'd be like, oh, I love buying Dory. Let's go again. Yeah, but, but I mean, the whole the whole plot device has been used, yes. has been tired since the Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, so, but that's uh, Finding Dory, and I, it is very entertaining. It's just not, it's very funny, too. Um, one gag I'd like to just quickly mention, that, like, there's this moment where, I'm not going to say how it happens, but there's a truck falling off of a cliff, and all these fish are falling out. You see one little fish... As as it's in free fall, one little fish eaten by a bigger fish, and then that fish <laughs> eaten by an even bigger fish. But then the bigger fish throws up all of them because of motion sickness. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's pretty good. All right, now I don't see, need to see the movie. Yeah, there you go. All right, one last movie, I guess, because I'm running running out of time. Warcraft. Oh boy. Oh boy, is that right? Oh, this movie's bad. Okay. I just wanted to confirm that for those of you wondering. And it's crazy because... What is the worst... I'm sorry to cut you off. What is the worst thing about this film? It's that it... It's dull, really. Oh, it, it's, God. It's, that's it's, awful. Yes. It's not fun bad. You're just kind of watching these very wooden actors or directed in a way that... The, the Duncan Jones, the director, I don't know if you've heard about this movie at all. And he's David Bowie's son. Okay. Like Bowie's son. And this was a, uh, reportedly, this was a passion project for him. Oh, like, he boy. put his heart and soul into this because he apparently loved the Warcraft games. And I mean even, like, because now we have World of Warcraft, but apparently there was a version of Warcraft going back years ago. Oh, yeah. I and played that game. 
yeah, that was the version he said he really loved. And he wanted to make a movie out of that. It's probably the blandest passion project I've ever seen. Wow. It's, and I, to be fair, apparently 40 minutes was cut out of this movie. And you can kind of tell because sometimes it will just dissolve to another scene and you'd be like, oh, well, that happened. Um, We should dissolve to the end of this podcast. (laughs) Man, you needed the thing I compared. This has been the wages of cinema. I mean, there was a reviewer out there. I'm not I'll forget his name. He tried. He compared this to like the battlefield earth of this decade. Like this guy really hated it. I don't hate it that much. This is more like the Dungeons and Dragons of this uh. decade but it lacks a jeremy irons you need a guy who there who could be like ha, i got my dragons <laughs> the, yes the, the, the clo- yes you don't have that guy the closest you have is ben foster and he plays a wizard which is really weird and everything else there, i mean there obviously there's a lot of money up on the screen uh a couple people trying but yeah i just uh i i, I that, that's two hours of my life i'll never get back so that is the wages of cinema for um, the movies that we've seen re- lately. Uh, <laughs> there are movies that I'm that's, sure I could talk that's more our title. about. Yeah. That's our title of this segment. <laughs> what? The episode of the wages of cinema where we talk about movies we've seen recently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is the episode of the Wages of Cinema where we hit our head and we talk about movies and we hit our head. It would be great. Movies. We're going to start another podcast someday where like each of the episodes, each of the titles is going to be like the episode where we talk, where we talk about uh, Warcraft or yes. the episode where Andrew yells at Jack for yes. not liking the movie he likes. Exactly. Um, when we come back, uh, we are going to talk about, um, well, Andrew is actually going to talk to you, the lovely listener, about a little movie from 2010 that, which, if you haven't seen it, well, you should. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. 